All right, folks, before we get started with today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast presented by Blue Wire Pods, I would like to quickly give you a update on the pod. So each month uh, for this month, it'll be July. I'll like to do a rundown of what to expect in the pod because the schedule will fluctuate depending on the month, but proud to announce every single day there will be a new pod in this feed. Um, so if you're an Apple podcast listener, uh, please go ahead and give this show a five-star rating and a review. Um, and let me know what you think of the show and think of the episodes by emailing me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Um, but I would like to kind of just do a rundown for people who are new to this feed, uh, what to expect every single day. Um, on Sundays you'll get, uh, my major league baseball, uh, uh, podcast. So we'll do that on Sundays, starting this week on Mondays, it's NFL with Evan Swords and a couple other guests you might recognize. So that will be every single Monday night on Tuesday nights, you get fan John Taylor, um, and that might switch to Wednesdays, but either way, it'll be Tuesday or Wednesdays. You'll also get a roundtable. So people like the Athletics, Yovan Bua, uh, NBA Canada's Scott Rafferty, just uh, all kinds of NBA names and faces during the NBA season on Wednesdays. On Thursdays, you'll get uh, pro wrestling. Uh, you'll get college basketball and college football pods. So look out for those in the Thursday episodes. On Fridays, you'll get sports reporters, uh, but that might go up on Saturdays. We'll see. Also, Atlanta sports sports guys and uh rocky top let's talk so if you're a tennessee and atlanta fan uh those will be available for you heading into the weekend to see what happened this week in atlanta and tennessee um and then last but not least an off-topic show on the weekend so that will also pop up on sundays um that will debut this upcoming weekend so a uh, different off topic show might feature a new york times writer the atlantic writer or a movie critic uh just anything uh we'll have to see maybe even a book well we'll have to see maybe a little bit of a book club uh, but that will come on the weekend as well so new feed there uh check out my writing at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com i'm the sports renaissance man so read me chase thomas there just you'll find it um free daily newsletter uh, I'm writing every single day there. On Saturdays, you get my actual personal essay newsletter. Sundays, my Atlanta sports column. Uh, you'll get uh, NBA columns during the week. You'll get college football throwback Thursdays. Uh, you'll get a mailbag column on Friday. So again, email me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you'll get AEW Dynamite, Monday Night Raw, Friday Night SmackDown recaps. You'll get all kinds of great stuff like that uh, along with other kinds of sports columns during the week. So go check that out if you have not already. That is a quite long intro, but I just kind of want to do this rundown every single month to kind of let you guys know what's going on with the show and how you can help. So again, leave the show a five-star rating review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, put in your email so you can get involved with the newsletter and read me every day at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com because I'm the Sports Renaissance Man, Chase Thomas. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Thursday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I'm joined by, I guess, my old friend. But do old friends avoid podcasts as long avoid as Mike Pellucci? Avoid the strong. Avoid the strong term mm. and. The fact that you said that just ruined my my rock intro that I was going to do. You know, I was going to do a finally, uh, but no. Go ahead. I, I'm clearing the I'm clearing the floor for you. I I, I want to hear this. Finally, I have returned to your podcast. It's not that good. I, I didn't. Really oh, I was expecting more. On. That I, was pretty short. I, I it was. I couldn't commit to the third person. I felt like that. I I, I can't. I'm not that level of Dwayne. I'm not that good. You know. So. uh 
but it's good to be back. It's been busy. I, uh, I, you know, was working a lot. I used to work for the athletic. I'm about to work somewhere that I can't say yet because that hasn't been announced, but super exciting about that. But that has left uh, too little time in between for wrestling potting, which has been uh, not what, not what I want. Not what I want, Chase. But you're here. But I'm here now, and there will be more wrestling potting in the future. Exactly, exactly. I'm excited, man. I'm excited to have my friend Mike back. It, uh, it's I'm... good to have you back, man. Um, Thanks, dude. I missed you. Well, let's start with AEW, a thing that we both enjoy. Yeah. They're back on the road. Fans are back. Not yep. a totally big stadium feel yet, uh, but this week was the closest it's felt, like an AEW mm-hmm. show in like almost two years, it feels like now. Um it's not we're, like there's this middle ground where it's not still like when I was there at State Farm Arena for the Atlanta show. Do you remember that with mm-hmm. uh, Wardlow? And yep. the, yeah. So that was that was crazy. It was my favorite professional wrestling moment of my life. And uh, being backstage and all that kind of stuff was super cool. But it was just an incredible event to see up close. And like I was walking around the like the lower levels and uh, just like, oh, hey, what's up? Oh, my God, they're doing that. Um, It, it was great. But. This looked like it on TV for me, where I was like, I jotted it down. Like, last week still didn't look quite right, but this week with Fighter Fest Night 1, I thought, okay, professional wrestling is back, and AEW's back looking like like it did. Is that fair? I think that's fair. That crowd was hot. Uh, they booked a great show. Um, I think, you know, you had the right balance of big moments with, you know, with Hangman's promo, for instance, with uh, the long-awaited Ricky Starks takeover, you had the obligatory, I hope Darby Allen leaves this arena, not a, like an ambulance or something. It's all good. It's all good watching it. Not not good watching Darby taking the bumps he's taking, but I think we're just used to that at this point. I mean, that's what he wants. I, Darby's like one of those guys where... He yeah, that's is, all well and good, but like it's in the Jeff Hardy sphere of like, that's what you want. It's when he has to tell you that's not what you're going to get. Like, nothing good comes of it. Yeah. But it's Darby Allen. Like, what are you, you going to tell? Are you really going to talk it's to this Darby guy Allen out of it? Darby Allen and, like, yeah, and him and Ethan Page have a very long storied relationship of Ethan Page giving him whatever wild bump Darby wants to take. I remember the first time I'd ever heard of Darby Allen was back when they were in Evolve together. And it was like an opening match. And they were wrestling some small, it must have been like a club venue, right? And outside the ring, like, I would say maybe. <laughs> three to four feet past the ring post, there's just this huge ass pole and Ethan page just basically runs and throws him like full, like velocity Mm. into that pole. And then he, you know, not only hits this, but then he falls to the ground like seven feet. And I'm just like, who is this maniac? (laughs) And, and here we are, uh, like five years later, and this maniac is a superstar, and I just hope that he is uh, can be able to do this for a long time. His body doesn't give out on him. He's still super young, right? Am I m- misremembering that? Isn't Darby like, like one of the sneaky younger ones? He's like twenty six or twenty seven. Yeah, um, he's so not like, even you know, as young. Prime but yet. I mean, yeah, but I don't. His prime might not be other people's primes with the stuff that he does. That's true. That is true. Um, but it works. The crowd's into it. The crowd loves Darby. Kids yeah. love Darby. He's good. He's different. Um, I do not think he should have gone over last night. Ooh, I didn't love interesting. that. Well, so, okay. So in the 10 months that I have not been here, uh, you know, if you listen to this, you, you remember, you know, I have an affinity for, for certain people. One of them is mm-hmm. Johnny Gargano. I, I drive right. the Johnny Gargano bus. 
another is Drew McIntyre. I was out of the curve there. Uh, Ethan Page, I will cop to. I've been a, a long time Ethan Page guy. I think Ethan Page can be a mega star as a heel. Um, I am glad that he's there now. Irrespective of my affinity for Ethan Page, though, you know, I guess like Darby kind of, you know, sort of gimmickly and for his vibes would win a coffin match. But like, what are you getting by Darby winning that match? Darby's a made man, you know? I think that does a lot more for Page if you put him over in the same way of Starks going over earlier in the night uh, versus, okay, Darby goes over now, and then what? You still have stalled out on Ethan Page just like, you know, I mean, really, I didn't like that Page and Sky were put together in the first place because it looked like they're finally to pull the trigger a bit more on Sky. Page comes in, he's the new guy. Uh, all Page ever did before he, you know, for post-evolve when he was at TNA, all that ever happened when people were trying to give him a, a singles push is he somehow wound up at a tag team. Really in Evolve, right? He winds up, he teams with ACH for a while. It was funny, you know, but that was that. He's in Impact. They eventually put him back with Josh Alexander. This was supposed to be different. They put him with Sky. And then what do you do at the end of this feud? You don't put those dudes over in favor of a guy who's already over and will be fine if he takes a loss. I just thought, you know, it's not disaster. I just felt like it was kind of a wasted opportunity. Well, it's interesting you say that because I think it was last week I was talking with Robert O'Neill about this where I'm like you, I'm a big Ethan Page guy. However, oh yeah, I think he did the wrong thing. Like, I don't feel sorry for him. He made the wrong choice. Like, he went to the wrong promotion for where he's at in his career. And it's not because I don't love AEW. AEW is the best wrestling promotion on the planet. What I'm saying is it's full at the top. Miro experienced that there was a there's just a wall right now where there's guys like Hangman's just sitting there and Kenny had to get his long reign, Mox had to get his long reign. But like it is so stacked, and this is something that we're gonna have to monitor in AEW um over the next couple of years, is that one of the beautiful things about what they're at right now is they're just gobbling up this talent similar to what WWE did uh five years ago. But there comes a tipping point where there's just not enough spots and there's no like Rampage can come out and all this great stuff. But like there's still only a certain amount of stuff that you can do. And Paige was not in a position where he could maximize his talents there. Like I always thought he should have gone to NXT. Like NXT has needed a fresh face at the top. And I'm not saying like baby face like for Paige. What I'm saying is that I think there was an opening for him on NXT to immediately be treated as like a carry and cross type that he was never going to get an AW because there weren't any spots for him to do that. And I think that was a mistake on his part. Maybe he thought he was good enough where he would just get elevated to that point. But like you're seeing Christian Cage, like he's having matches with Matt Hardy right now because there's no space for even him at the top, right? They flirted with it with Kenny when he first debuted, but like that's not really been touched at all. Like there's just, there's no room. Yeah. Is there, well, so time out real quick. Did Ethan Page have an offer from NXT? Uh, if he did, then that's, I mean, I don't know, right? I mean, I, 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 I should think, say, yeah, I, I don't know either, but I am saying that I, it, I, mean, I would, I would, I would guess it would be, good, it, would, it would be very it would, surprising if he did not have an option to go either way, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I Who isn't getting both? Page... Like, if NXT and Triple H is interested in you, AEW is interested in you. I just, I don't think those two don't. I mean, I guess, hand but hand. I, no. I just, I don't know. I don't know how it works. Mm. I don't know how that's the way it works for everyone. I mean, I don't want to necessarily assume. I think he would do well in the WWE style the same way that Eli Drake coming back as LA Knight has done yes. an awesome job maximizing what he's done. Paige could be that guy. Um, I agree with you that it's too full of the top. I'm not expecting, when I say I think Ethan Page can be a megastar heel, I don't think that's coming anytime soon, but at the very least, at least cement him a little more in the mid card. 
that's that those were the stakes here, right? You know, I think yeah. you let him go over Darby, you give him at least a little more credibility as a mid card guy because you're right, you know, it took it took time to build Paige up and they did it at a pace that I think has been beautiful because had they given, I, I, I think we need to pause and remember that like, this was really a happy accident for them because the plan was to let was just to let Adam page go over Pac mm. and become the first ever champion. But dragon gate blocked that from happening because Pac had the belt and that's when they had to rejigger the whole thing. And that's when I, they made Jericho champion. And it's good that they did because page was not ready for it then, but you're dead on that. Yeah, they've, he's, he wasn't ready for it a couple of years ago. They are ready for it now and they're giving it to us now. And they deserve a lot of credit for that because we've seen God knows how many instances of WWE not playing the, you know, not playing the short game with guys, but then not paying it off the long game. Uh, sometimes you get the super long game, like the Bobby Lashley extended track towards the top that takes, you know, years longer than it should. But by and large, uh, they haven't found the sweet spot. I think AEW deserves a ton of credit for, I think really, you know, both of the, you know, both Kenny not getting the belt too soon because it would have been the low hanging fruit to just give him the belt. And then assuming there is a title change soon, which I mean, I guess they could always not do that, but that would be crazy to me if they don't put the belt on page at this point. Uh, they deserve credit for a second consecutive champion of this coming at exactly the right time. Yeah, I um. I don't know. I think he's fine. Like, I, I agree with you, but I also wonder, this was something I jotted down in my notes, was that I I think Scorpio Sky is the one who wins this feud. There's a reason he won the brass ring or whatever they called it. Um, how long ago is that now? I don't even remember. When did Scorpio Sky win the ladder match? Two pay per views ago. Okay, which is I don't even know how many ti- how many months and they yeah time. I know time time I was gonna say it just bleeds together. But I would think that's like early in the year, right? Um, they because they do four a year, and so I think you're roughly about three months apart you know, double or nothing or not double or nothing uh, all out is early September. So I think we're yeah. talking about like February, March, something like that. February, that right. maybe. But yeah. yeah, yeah. So either way, like, I think that showed they're in on Scorpio. There's a reason they pulled him from SCU. Like, I think they're higher on Scorpio than Paige. And I would not be surprised if Scorpio and Darby still have some stuff and Scorpio goes over Darby. I don't think Darby goes. Maybe over I could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, that. No, I mean, that, would, that could totally play, make sense. That would go back to my main point that I've had from the beginning of I hated them being put together because I just don't know how you can ascend both of them. And I think both of them are worthy of that. Well, I think that's the whole point of the gimmick, right? Like their their tag team is literally built around uh, we're too good to be doing this. Yeah, but that only, I feel like, works if you could find a way to elevate them together. And it feels like it's going to be... when you say be, elevate, this is something be, that so. I push back on, is that like when you say elevate, where do they go? Like, who do you pull down to elevate them? Well, I think you find ways... I, you know, they're getting good at something that I've always advocated for WWE to do, which is mm. if you don't have to have an off-season, just build a big enough roster that you can keep guys off TV for at least a few weeks at a time or a yeah. couple months at a time, right? Like, Moxley needs, you know a month and a half, give them a month and a half. You've got more than enough guys to pick up the slack. So I don't think it's as, you know, as cut and dry as saying, well, there are 12 guys at this tier. How are you going to make them work? You just don't put them all on TV at the same time and let them rotate. Yeah, that is true. I don't know why that is. I, I'm sure a lot of wrestlers don't want that would be my guess. They're like, I don't, I'm in don't prime. Want, I, what time off. Yeah. I think that they're like, if they're in their prime like that, I don't think they want to be pulled off for like, and they're worried about losing their, their overness or, Things yeah, like that. I, mean, I, I think could it, see. I think it comes back to company culture, right? Everything mm. you hear about AEW, 
and it could be an act, but I feel like ultimately the talent is too in lockstep with what they say that I'm inclined to believe them, that the culture there is very different and there's much more of a family feel and a family vibe. And it's not as cutthroat as WWE is. So if you buy into that and you trust the company will take care of you and you've seen examples of that, you know, the most prominent being everything that happened with Brody Lee and his family afterwards, then you're probably more inclined if they tell you, Hey, just take a month to probably believe that it's going to be fine. Right. I mean, I listened to uh, the dark order on Jericho's podcast, um, dark order being uh, Stu and Nuno and the number of times they basically were terrified of losing their jobs uh, just from like in the beginning when they had those, you know, remember those creepers, the, like mm. the random dudes that Bruno would sit on and they were just like, they would screw up TV segments because they were total amateurs. And Man, those guys would be like, ago. it was right. But you know, they would sit there, Uno and Stu would sit there and be like, Oh my God, we're getting fired. Oh my God, we're getting fired. And then the pandemic happens and they see other guys on TV because they can't cross the border so like, you know, Silver and Reynolds are repping the dark order. They're like, oh my God, we're getting fired. Oh my God, we're fired. It happened so many times. And it may be a different, less, you know, I guess, uh, not sentimental, but less family friendly, you know, collective vibe, whatever promotion, maybe they get axed, but it was always, no, you're going to come back. You're going to be on TV. It's cool. We got you. Don't worry about that. So I think if you present that image from the top, and if you really communicate that ethos of, it's going to be okay. You just have to trust us. And this is, everybody's going to get a shot at some point. And we've seen everybody get TV time at some point. Then I feel like you're probably more inclined to believe them. They say you can take the time and it will be okay. Because really at some point, everybody's been on TV. I mean, yeah. good God, they're putting Brian Pillman Jr. in a TNT title match. You know, they're letting Dustin and Nick Camerato main event a dynamite. They're giving everybody a chance at some point. Well, to be fair, Dustin's awesome. Dustin runs. True. Awesome. I, I'm not denying Dustin's awesome. And Nick, Nick Camerato is very hirsute. And, you know, that plays on television. Do you think... Um, I thought the Omega um, Page stuff was perfect. Page is super over. Yes. Do you still yep. think... Because, like, he, it's not like he has to walk away after next week's five-on-five five elimination. And clearly, Callus and them have got something up their mm-hmm. sleeve for them to accept it. And Callus whispering in their ears as they're escaping away. Um, but I wonder... Do you, because Omega has only I like he like this reign has gone on for two hundred plus days and he's never been able to do it in front of fans till now, they still pull the pull the trigger on page, or do you think they draw this out in some super schmozzy heel stuff um at the next pay per view? What do you what do you think happens? I think they pull the trigger on him okay. because I think there's been I think we've seen they don't they don't linger on stuff, even at times when I've wondered if they could, right? They pulled the trigger on MJF screwing Cody real early. I thought they could have dragged that out for a long time, right? He throws in the towel and he's like, I really was worried about you and I'm protecting you. And you could have done that for another month at least. They did it right then. Moxley, I thought, got the title a little fast. Um, and it didn't matter because he was so good. It, it wasn't a bad thing. But I was like, oh, this feels a little, a little quick. I feel like you could go a little longer with Jericho. Didn't matter. I think with this, when you build it for two years, and everybody is red hot waiting for it. I think you got to do it. It feels to me like when Britt Baker was wrestling, you know, and won the belt, that crowd was so into her. And it was just like, you can't not do it now. And I think they are very good at reading the moment. And there will never be a better moment to put it on Hangman than right now. You know, I, I, I'm with you that, it, you know, I guess you could always extend the Omega run a little further and do it in front of fans. But what do you get out of it, right? Kenny's Kenny. You could put the belt on him whenever you want for the next however many years, as long as he's still wrestling and wants to do it. Uh, but the whole point of the last two years has been let's make Paige a star and let's do this at the right time and make sure when he has the belt, he's ready. 
And I don't think it's ever going to be more ready than it is at this moment. I just think it's kind of a bummer. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot is just Omega and Mox in their prime on this red hot promotion. The majority of their reign was no fans. Like that angle was no fans and that that's it. Like that was, I, I like, those are the two best professional wrestlers arguably of the last 10 years. And like, I don't know if Mox will ever, I mean, who else? It's, it's Brian. It's Mox. It's Brian. It's Omega. Um, Who else is in there? TJP. I mean, (laughs) uh, I mean, I'm trying to think 10 because 10 is a large body of work, you know? I mean, it doesn't, Um, it's 2010, man. Think about it. Like who else in that time period? 2010 onwards. Yeah. I mean, but would you say like Adam Cole, I think it's fine there. I mean, if you're going to put Cole in there, you're going to put Gargano in there. Uh, I know you're not putting in there. Drew McIntyre. Hmm. That's fine. I'm not sitting there saying Drew is the single best pro wrestler. I'm just simply saying Drew is an obvious WWE made event guy, and they finally figured it out. Well, I will say no. Gargano was one of the best wrestlers out there. Oh, by the way, Okada. Mm-hmm. Duh, Okada. Oh, that's right, Okada. Um, Man, he feel dude. Did he miss the boat here? Like, just in, New Japan is in I a just, bad, bad place right now, and that man. I think it's just look. He is Lionel Messi. He mm. is going to stay with the promotion. The promotion might dip sometimes, but he is very content to be, I think, like, I'm, I'm not in his head, but I just get the vibe of like, hey, this goes to retire as the best New Japan wrestler of all time. And he is content to do that. And you could sit there and say he should have gone somewhere else and proven himself in a different league or different promotion. And he's just going to say, no, I don't care. This is where I want to be. I'm the freaking best. You know I'm the best. And I will do this until I'm done doing it. He's messy. Mm. I, I could see that. that one, were you? Yeah, I had not considered that, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that reference. Um, but other things from AEW this enough. week, though. I, I wanted to ask you, because I thought Mox and Carl was good. I also think they learned their lesson from last week. Because I, I mentioned, and I don't know if this was their fault, because Mox was not available. But starting this show with Mox and this crowd was great. Like, people are into him. Yeah. Um, most over babyface you have come through the crowd. Him and Kingston are awesome. Um, yep. This match was what it needed to be. But I also just think they look like the whole stuff like Cody was on fire this week. He's so hit and miss. And like, I thought his segment with Tommy and slash Malachi black was, was perfect, but that was something they learned. I think from last week, cause last week they opened with that, um, Texas. What was it? The, I, I always forget what to even call this, the strap match. And the oh, fans yeah. didn't that, strap match. Yeah. yeah. And people don't know the rules and it was boring. It was a slog and QT Marshall just should never be in that kind of spot. Cause people don't care about QT Marshall, but right. Yeah. I, uh, I thought they did it. And this was like the right use of Cody. And this was the right use of the elite. This was the right use of page. I think this show mm-hmm. was like, this was like Tony Khan flexing of like what they can do when they're, when everything is clicking yeah. on all cylinders. Right. I, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I thought they, I don't. I really think they ordered the matches kind of perfectly. Yes. You know, you come and, and really. I mean, everything like give Christian and Matt the top of the hour segment, right? You know, if you, if you, I personally like, you know, love those guys' work. Uh, still enjoy watching Christian matches. Matt Hardy matches not as much. Wasn't as into it just because it's not my vibe. But hey, put it in the middle slot. Give us some time to yeah. work. Let that feud be, blow off, and then you don't have to do it at an early slot or an end slot. You find a way to squeeze in Sammy, who predictably was super over and also super good that was a great match that was the second best match in the night i had i had never seen wheeler yuda i'd heard about wheeler yuda for a while mm-hmm. and he looked good like that's a dude i mean i know they have too much talent but like, he sold well that's a dude that I, 
yeah, he, he knew what he was doing in there. I think he's only like 24. Like he's a dude who I could see them signing for sure. Um, the, the Ricky Starks cage match was mm. at the right time of the show. Yes. I mean, that was excellent. Ricky was super over. I mean, you know, you can kind of expect that in terms of it's, it's Austin, both Starks and Guevara. That was kind of their home territory. It's not shocking, that but they're, they're also just big, really but... good. Like those two are just really yeah, good fair. building blocks for that company long term. Starks is just absolutely so polished for his age. Starks is he? There, I just can't say enough glowing adjectives to describe where he is in his career. Well, he's like, I mean, he's like thirty, but yeah. yes. Well, no, what I'm but saying on the big stage, just... like he was in NWA. Like this is yeah. like he is moving up the ranks. Where like Sammy's still got a long way to go to move up the ranks, but. I think Ricky, yeah. it's an easier case to be like, hey, we need to see what we have here in the main event with him, more so than even Jungle Boy. I mean, I I, I remember one of the, you know, sometime last year when I was on this pod, we had this conversation, mm. this debate, who do you think would be, if you had to hit your star to one guy long term, who do you think will be between Jungle Boy and Sammy? You said Jungle Boy, I said Sammy. Mm. I do think they're in the same tier of, I liked what they did with Jungle Boy, of Jungle Boy to me is where Paige was two years ago. Like mm. he'll probably be, they'll probably put the belt on him at some point. I don't know personally if I see that, but I think they see that enough. Other people do that. I could just be wrong about it, but they're not going to do it for a couple of years, nor should they. He's not ready for anything close to that. He's got to, I mean, it's not a great sign of where he's at right now. And it just, you know, a sign of how far he has to go to develop that Christian basically cut his big pre-match promo for him <laughs> in the locker room. And he's like, you're ready for this. This is your moment. Cause like, Jack just isn't capable of that yet. And to be fair, Sammy can't do that as a baby fest yet either. You know, I think both of them, like you said, they're building blocks. But in terms of personality, I'm with you that Ricky is more that than them, which is why I loved. I mean, this was basically the rock turning on Farouk in the nation of domination. That's mm. what this was. Um, and it's fitting because I've never understood why so many people like to comp him to the rock, but I feel like people like to throw the rock out there. But that was exactly what should have happened. I love that. I'm sitting there going, if he does not walk out of this feud with that belt and that belt is basically just like you know the king's crown of that stable then we're doing something wrong because this has run its course and boom that's exactly what they did also if you're assuming the cage doesn't have a stable and most people on the promotion have stables can he just wrestle with christian and they could be the cage fighters (laughs) we could do (laughs) i mean i guess i guess they could i'm cage fighters baby let's do it Mm. What does Cage do next? Uh, I don't know. Hmm. I, but, you know, they've got they've got no shortage of people they can do stuff with. I mean, you could just put him in a big Haas fight feud with Lance Archer. I mean, Lance Archer doesn't have much to do right now. I mean, Archer's got a humongous match next week, death match with Mox. Yeah, and he's not going to win, and then what? Wait, are we sure he's not winning? I guess I'm not positive. He's I was going to say, like, I don't I know. Mean, Mox doesn't need the IWGP US title. Like, I think Archer needs doesn't. it a lot. It, it goes back to the Ethan Page stuff. Like, what is Archer won big time? Like, he hasn't really, really pulled any big. Like, well, I could but see. This yeah. isn't, but you're thinking about this in AEW terms. You got to think about this in New Japan terms. So mm. what does New Japan want? That's and true. And I guess, like, the question, the question really is, in a sense, and this is what we don't know the answer to, does Moxley want to keep working Japan? Or as he said, I've done this and I'm done. Mm. If he's done, because Archer's worked Japan so long, I, I I feel like he will keep working Japan. If Moxley says, I'm done, this is a way to get it on a dude who will get a monster, like you said, in AEW. Because if you do Japan, right, and you're going to let this title be overseas, you got to make sure whoever this belt is on has some street cred. Well, if you let Archer go over, that will, like you said, that will be a monster boost for him in the States, 
which in turn gives rub for that belt. And then he goes to Japan, kind of comes back as a conquering hero. But again, this is all unknowable. If Moxley, I think if Moxley is down to keep working in New Japan, and we, we have no way to know that question, then I think he wins. If Mox is saying, I want to be done soon and I need to drop this belt, then Archer does make sense as a guy who could go back with it. Mm. Um, any final thoughts on this week's AEW? <sighs> Only that I've been a little underwhelmed. Sure, you know, Malachi Black came in super hot with the you knocking know, people out thing. I didn't love this week's segment. Interesting. Uh, I would. I mean, I just, I don't know. Maybe it's just that, like, I really wish he just came in as Tommy End, and it was just, like, you know, I, I remember watching him in PWG, and the gimmick was basically just, hey, I'm a badass, dude. And, like, you can mix a little weird occult stuff in there, but don't, like, let the occult stuff just overshadow, like, this is a badass kickboxer who's going to destroy people. Oh, I've got I bad news for that, you. But, Have you seen his Instagram? Uh, no, it's super weird. It's full The Fiend. Bray Wyatt stuff like he's this is like one of those things where people get mad like it's clearly what he wants this is absolutely he wants to create a Bray Wyatt being character like this is absolutely what he wants it's like Alexa Bliss is awesome they're like people get frustrated like why are they doing this to her it's like that she clearly loves this like this is something that she's wanted to do for a long time like this is clearly an Aleister Black like is or Malachi Black wants to wants to do all that this is something that he's not being positioned uh, or he's not being propositioned to do something he doesn't want to do I think this is absolutely something right, he wants yeah, to he, I mean, they weren't gonna yeah and he they weren't gonna get him unless they let him do what he wanted and like right. you know I'm sure like there have been a lot of things I've been skeptical of that they've it's worked in the long run maybe he does that I just felt like I didn't love him being on I would have liked to see him in the ring sooner uh, I felt like the crowd you know especially given that this crowd was hot they were like doing the whole what thing during his promo which is never mm-hmm. a good sign um I don't know I just I would have liked him to be, I guess I, in an ideal world, I'd like him to just be Tommy end, be a badass kickboxer who takes no shit. a la Moxley, but in a different way and do a little creepy stuff as opposed to, I'm going to just do full weird stuff. Like I think we've seen enough of that in AW programming. That's just me. I think he's damn good in the ring. He's the best striker in the world, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, and, and him and Cody will be a fun feud. I, I'm really, really waiting for the inevitable, uh, like the most inevitable, but it's going to be so good. Cody goes heel. Cody screws somebody over. Cody goes for the title and lie, said he was lying to everybody the whole time, right? That's inevitable. So it's just a matter of when and how they do this, which means how do you, what's your long-term path towards making him turn? Mm. Um, well, let's, let's move forward to a great company that does everything right. Absolutely. They never miss. Well, they, they haven't missed here because Goldberg's coming back next week, which is fantastic. I hope Ooh, it's Raw. He's coming back on Raw, right? Uh, I don't know. I've, I've really just, you know... like Monday Night Raw needs I him. I am touch- so excited, Mike. I will not, uh, I will not tolerate <laughs> any Goldberg slander. Goldberg's great. His matches are a great. True, it's a, a true Atlanta boy right there. I mean, hey, he's... Sticking uh, up for, for Big Bill. <laughs> he's just fun man i like variety in my professional wrestling i like uh i like some differences and monday night raw is a slog goldberg makes it a little bit more fun goldberg's fun like i've never not enjoyed a goldberg match in uh the I, last I, what five I, years I, they're all you, great you were you were a big fan of funny you were a big fan of when he dropped take on his head and almost killed him i mean i wasn't a fan of the, the ending but the match itself yeah who's who's not here for that <laughs> i don't know what you're implying also just, was that one of the ones in saudi arabia 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. We don't, we don't. Uh, that, that, that didn't happen. The, anything that happened. That's not canon. Mm-hmm. It's not canon. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's not canon. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not ready for for Big Bill being back in the program. But what about I Brock, that was inevitable. I'm ready for Brock. Sure, mm-hmm. I'm ready for Brock. I'm ready for. I'm ready for Big John. That's who I'm ready for. I'm ready for Cena. Oh, I am so Let's excited. I read about this. Like, this company does deserve. Like, I will give them kudos when they deserve their kudos, and they deserve kudos for. Getting me and you and all of us obnoxious smarks in on Roman Reigns Cena 2, Roman Reigns The Rock. Like, the fact that that is now something that we are looking forward to. If you told us this, what, five years ago, we would have laughed in your face. Like, no, like, we we saw it. Like, we wrote about it. Like, go back and watch that promo between Reigns and Cena. Like, it's atrocious. It's one of the worst promos back and forth I've ever heard. Um, go back and look at Reigns with the Suffering Succotash stuff from years ago, years ago. Like it was, <laughs> it was all so bad. And The Rock being confused when raising Reigns' hands in Philadelphia after the Rumble, like that. It, it's just, mm-hmm. it's amazing how many missteps there were, and it didn't matter because they found the right thing with the Tribal Chief. And were anyone who's not here for Cena, um, Cena Reigns to headline this pay per view, also. Cena should win. Like, give him, let him break Flair's record. I don't care that he's leaving. Like, let Cena break the record. Um, be a cool moment. You got to get the title off reigns, I think, anyway. And you can also just put it back. Like, you can have Cena lose a couple weeks later. You can put it back on him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, they're kind of in a spot of, like, for all that we sit here and we think that this is going to be him and the Rocket Mania, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But if it is him and the Rocket Mania, well, what are you going to do? He's going to, like... If he is he gonna really have the belt for like how long would that be at that point? Are we talking like twenty months or something? You're never gonna take the belt off of him, and then you still like they're not gonna let the it, they already did the Rock one last run thing when he beat Punk. They're not gonna let the Rock take the belt off of him, and you need to have some plausible he could beat him type thing. I'm with you. I think they should let him lose to Cena. Uh, if they didn't, if they didn't know for sure that Cena was coming back to do SummerSlam, I would have them drop it to Edge. Uh, but if we know Cena's going to be there, they're not going to not make that title match. I would, I mean, I'm with you. I would totally let Cena win, and I would find a way to, you know, I don't know if it's like Rollins or something like that as a transitional champion. I don't know what big heel you would have take the belt off of him, but I think Cena should win it. I'm with you. Let's do it. I mean, you could just have Rollins win the Money in the Bank for. On the men's side and just cash in on him after. I mean, I'm kind of inclined to think that is their best option. I can't figure out what their best move is since the best move has always been. And I know you're with me here. Best move has always been give Kevin Owens the damn belt back at some point. Like, yeah. come on, man. We're going, we're what, five years removed from that title reign? This is stupid. Somebody He's on the wrong show for that, reign. unfortunately. He is, but like, it's getting exhausting. All right. He's clearly a superstar. He is clearly one of their best dudes. Let him be a champion, right? It can work as a face. It can work as a heel, whatever you got to do. But like, there seems to be no, you know, imminent point of that happening. So if you're not going to do that, like, I mean, Seth is, Seth is really the modern edge in terms of it's always good to let him screw someone over in opportunistic fashion. Cause he's just so, you know, just such a little shithead. And I mean yeah. that in a good way. Um, so to me, that's what I would like to see them do. I don't know what they're going to do. I know the betting odds have it being Big E, which is intriguing to me, uh, but I could also see that being one of those things where they don't actually let Big E win the belt. Oh, I have a question for you about Big E, because I opposed this to Robert O'Neill last week, but 
Uh, we align okay. on this. I'm I'm curious what you think because this leads into what I think for Money in the Bank men's side. Um, what? Who do you think is a better professional wrestler in 2021, Kofi Kingston or Biggie? Who do you think is the most talented of that group and most upside? Uh, well, I mean, those are kind of different questions. I think mm. like right now in this moment, because Kofi's done it so long, I think Kofi's style is so good and valuable. I think Kofi's a better professional wrestler in this moment. Do I think Kofi is the one you would bet on with more upside? No, that, that's E. Um, I think they were right to make him the single and let Kobe or let Kofi be the tag guy. I, I don't, I, what are you going to get out of Kofi as a main event guy that you don't already get? That feels to well, me Well, we never like got it. We got rocked. Daniels. Remember, they pulled the the nonsense with Lesnar and we never really got to fully experience and that fe- like he was dealt a really he bad hand post mania like he was working with what Orton and like where feuds just go to die he, like he had a short run I don't know I mean I always I viewed him in the same way that I viewed when Christopher Daniels got the RH belt that mm. the chase was the was, was the story and it was never going to get better than when he chased it and when he had it what do you do with him and that's not to diss Kofi at all Kofi's really good I just I mean, his like, promos are, are top notch. Really- like his backstage stuff every week is top notch. His in ring work is top notch. Like that dude has mastered professional wrestling. He is one of those people. He's like Kevin Owens of the of Monday Night Raw, where it's like he's been around so long that he knows everything. And Biggie, I just don't see it. Yeah. I think Biggie's good. I think he's talented. I don't think he's like the size I struggle with. Like his height, I struggle with. I struggle with just his in ring work. I think he's okay, but I'd rather watch a Kofi match than a. Big E match. I'd rather watch a Kevin Owens match than a Big E match. Like, there's a lot of people I'd rather watch. Well, I don't work. think. I mean, I don't think either of those dudes are on Kevin Owens' level. And mm-hmm. I also don't think if we're sitting there saying, "Do you prefer Kofi or E?" I don't think the winner of that debate has to be a main event guy. I think that those could be your occasion, you know, your high up your card type dudes. Like, I'm with you. I you could sell me on E being that guy at some point. I never necessarily thought it was a given, even back in the day when, I mean, they were pushing E when he was Dolph's bodyguard. And I was like, oh, this is the next guy. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe. Uh, I feel like sometimes he, I think he's still working on how to master his, this transition from comedy guy to serious guy. Because yeah. when he's com, I mean, he's, his comic timing is unbelievable. He's so funny. And he clearly has charisma, but I don't think he's mastered a promo style. I mean, that was obvious when he was wrestling Apollo. Of His promos were like, I don't know what you're trying to project here. It almost feels cartoonish in your seriousness. Like it didn't really hit the notes that it needed to hit, but it wasn't in a way that like some dudes are just like, they're never going to have these promo skills. Like, you know, we love Ricochet. I will always watch a Ricochet match, but I just, the promo skills are never going to be there. It's just, he is what he is at that. And that's, you know, for me, that doesn't bother me because he's so talented, but uh, with E it's, it's more like, I could see this. I think you just have to find your voice. I just don't know how long it takes for him to find that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, how do you see uh, the rest of Money in the Bank go? Let's run through the predictions. Let's let's hit it. It's happening okay. Sunday. All right. Feels like there actually hasn't been a uh, WWE pay per view in a while. Like it usually feels like, oh god, another one. But this one actually feels like there's actually been some time. Um, I'm still super bummed out that Bianca Bailey is not happening because I think that might have been the one I was most looking yeah, forward yeah. to because I think Bailey should have won. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, I I feel like, I mean, what's the move? I think she eventually drops it. Like, I don't know. I I, I don't want to spoil my prediction for money at the bank, but like, I feel like it's probably Alexa and Alexa takes the belt at some point. Like mm. that's, you know, I guess I don't know who Bianca drops it to. I, I agree with you. They could have just given it back to Bailey. 
Um, I think it would have told a better story, like from their promo, their last one together, where they were like, where Bianca was getting at her and made a stupid champion babyface thing of like, oh, well, I'm going to show you by putting you in a I quit match and make embarrass you in that way. And Bailey was like, oh, okay, well, you gave me another title match and uh, I have wanted to do this forever. And I've been a champion for 300 plus days and uh, you have not. You're still a lot younger and you could have told a veteran story of just outsmarting her there because she was too too confident and it backfired and then bianca has to live with bailey uh trotting around being like i told you so i told you so for a while like that would have been a fun story like i would have enjoyed that um agreed aj styles almost versus the viking raiders uh i as nice as it is to see the viking raiders back i'm gonna stick with aj and almost also aj's great and uh just yeah just a delight um this is gonna be a hoot of a match um ripley versus flair can they both lose <laughs> man i uh, i don't really know what's going on with charlotte's character at this point um well her promos I are mean, great like charlotte's promos are great um Rhea's comedy is just i don't i don't know who in the back is booking yeah, ray ripley or what's going on there but it's been an abject disaster like her on the main roster it like, feels a little like it feels a little like what they were doing towards the end of moxley's run there where it's like Let's make this person yes. have cringe humor. What it's like, you should just make them a badass. Rhea Ripley's a badass. Let her be a badass. The end. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to say Charlotte. I feel like they just... Do we get a Becky you know spot here? They, if they have a... Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, oh, man. Well, here's the thing. If, she, if there's a Becky spot, how are you going to justify this in terms of, like, would you just have... Because if Becky comes in, Becky's winning that belt at, at SummerSlam. That, 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 who, if Becky's back, Becky's getting the belt. So would you rather <clears throat> let Charlotte be a tr- transitional champ, or would you rather end Rhea's run there? But then you got to make something with Rhea where Rhea's like full heel, because you know Becky's going to be nuclear hot when she comes back. I don't know. This is a great question. Like if Flair uh, just wins just be- clean and celebrating, and then Becky's music hits. Like that, like her yeah, celebrating, then, like, this is my division, I run this, I told all of you guys, like, here's my next reign, and then immediately Lynch's music hits. It could be that. It could also be a uh, Charlotte wins, no Becky this time, you get the rematch at SummerSlam, Charlotte wins again, start talking shit, Becky's music hits, you bring her back at SummerSlam. Mm. I'm good with either. I'm good with either. I just need Becky Lynch yeah. back in this uh, this situation. I'm, I'm so excited to have her back on television. Um, Bobby Lashley versus Kofi. I'm going to go with my heart and just say Kofi, but I think they're just going to have Lashley. Like Lashley just, it's not worth it without the hurt business. Like they ruined it. Like Shelton and Cedric are so much worse off for it. I think Shelton's even like gone from the company, but like, it's just Lashley's good. MVP has been great. MVP, like a literal MVP of Monday Night Raw for a year now. Um, yep. But it's just, it's not the same. I miss the hurt business, man. It was so good. And it just, they made a dumb mistake. It really did work. Yeah, I know. That was that was they've done so many stables that don't help anybody and that was something that was helping everybody and mm-hmm. I wish they didn't break it up. But yeah, uh, I'm with you. I don't think this is where Lashley's reign ends. I don't know when it does. Uh I feel like maybe sooner than later, but I don't think Kofi's going to be the guy he drops it to. Uh two money in the bank matches. How do you how do you see it going? I'm going to say Raw Riddle's too obvious. Um I'm going to say Rollins and I'm going to say Liv Morgan in the women's. 
Um, I would look. I would love to see Liv Morgan win that. That'd she's be so really good. Cool. Like she uh, has star potential that they just have not tapped into yet. Liv Morgan could be yeah. a huge star for that company, and they just oh, they haven't done sure. it yet. They don't know what to do. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, that said, this feels like. Much like I think they're always looking for a reason to put the belt on Charlotte, I think they are always looking for a reason to put the belt on Alexa. Do you know that Alexa is still only like 29 years old? Mm. She's been on our TV for a very long time, and she's only 29. Uh, so I think it's going to be Alexa, and then I really don't know what they're doing in the men's match. But as a, you know, as we we're talking about before, I think Seth always gives you options because half the half the thing isn't just what are you going to do with it and put the belt on somebody. It's like how can you make this engaging? And like I think Seth's been floating a bit. I think giving him the briefcase and letting him draw this out for a very long time would work very well. It would give them a lot of options. You can always put Seth in a position to get the belt on him, and it would work. Uh, they also have had too many shenanigans with you know over the last year with how they handled everything with Otis and with Miz, that whoever gets that, even if they don't win the cash-in, you just got to make sure they cash in, and that means keeping this person engaging and believable. And I think Seth just checks all the boxes. So I'll say Seth and I'll say Alexa and just, you know, it's kind of boring. This this feels like when Randy won Money in the Bank. Um, what was it? It was like, you know, it was before he had that big run uh, and took the belt off of Brian when Triple H screwed him. And it was kind of like, really? We're doing a Randy Money in the Bank? What, why are we doing this? But it worked really well. I think that's going to be this. It's going to be boring, but it's going to work. Mm. I miss Brock using it like a boombox. Brock might have been the best Money in the Bank winner of all time. Brock was really great at it. Um, Brock was Brock was so good because you never. It's always such a. It's never a Goliath victory, right? right. It's never the best. It, and it was fun to see him turn it on his head, uh, as opposed to like the opportunistic guys or the. I'm still waiting. I think there's absolutely a great story to be told, and I don't know what circumstance you have but you have to have a it's a combination of like you need a dominant heel stable and you need like an underdog baby face and just i could absolutely there would be a great story if the baby face tries to cash in and he just gets blockaded at all turns for like weeks on end by like you know if there's five people like two or three of those stooges is continually not letting him cash in mm. and then there's being some way that he sneaks in and just finally, people are clamoring for for weeks, and he comes in and he steals the title, and just everybody loses their damn minds at it. I don't know who would, I don't know how you do this, I don't know how you book the scenario, but that broad stroke scenario is something we've never really seen, and I think if you had the right people involved, it could just really work. I think we're going to get a surprise somewhere on this show. Like, they're going to pull somebody back. I don't know if it's Becky, I don't know if it's Keith Lee. Someone's coming back on this show with fans on a pay-per-view like this. Some, they're, they're pulling somebody back. I agree. Yeah, you got to do something big. You got to get people, you know, give people reward for being in the building and being excited about it. Um, and also, you know, help grease the wheel for SummerSlam. I, uh, if I were feeling more comfortable going out with big indoor crowds, I would totally go to the show because mm. I'm in Dallas. But I uh, just didn't feel like I was ready for that. I mean, you're yeah. vaxxed, right? I am, but you know, at the same time, like, oh man, a lot of people in there. You don't know if they are, if they aren't. Variants, indoor conditions. I don't know. That's fair. I'm getting there. I I think by by mania season when it comes back to Dallas I'll be ready to go to that show. That's fair. But, um, yeah. and, and then Roman Reigns and Edge. I assume we both think Roman wins. I mean, yeah, that's a foregone. Like Edge has been awesome, and I've enjoyed this whole thing. But it, Cena is around the corner. Like if it, that's it, sucks for Edge because I think we would all totally buy into Edge. Edge winning if we didn't all know that Cena was around the corner. Yeah, and that's a bummer because like. 
I really think it can't be said enough that the difference between Edge and so many of the old dudes that are back is Edge clearly can still go. And he does not get enough credit for the fact that like Edge is still performing at like an 85 to 90% of Edge level. And that's incredible. And I would love to see him get it. And I just don't, I mean, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to give it to him now. No. And like, what do you do with him? You know, oh, like he, in the draft, you move him to maybe Raw. He, I guess. But like, I just have you like, seen Raw's main event scene? They've been throwing out Jinder Mahal on a motorcycle and uh, Ricochet yeah. and Matt Riddle and uh, this guy well, so Drew McIntyre. Hey, hey, you, 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 be quiet there. They need Drew to be healed though. You know my position on this. I think Drew's an okay baby face. I think he, I've seen him be an amazing heel. Uh, not the monster destroy things. So you've, you've enjoyed the the, uh, the history lessons every week. You've enjoyed the Scottish warrior and the. Uh, that 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 whole thing you've enjoyed all of that yeah the sword i love the sword. oh yeah when he gets really mad when Uh, people steal his sword i don't know if you knew this or not but he's scottish no that's pretty subtle Mm -hmm. yeah that's a just a subtle affectation you really have to hone in to pick up on that one um yeah true so i mean hey at least that true does not stink true uh i think the way they use him stinks if you go back and watch his evolve stuff he was amazing there because they let him actually you're never gonna sell me on this mike it's gonna be like seven years from now like we're both (laughs) old talking on this podcast these old 40 plus year old guys just talking about pro wrestling and we're like no drew stinks and you're just like no drew's awesome after being like a nine-time champion 15 years ago drew was great 15 years ago yeah i mean listen man like i reference that stuff a lot but like at evolve's peak circa like 2016 ish Mm -hmm. 2017 ish like dude it was absurd the amount of talent that was rolling through that place it was just stupid how many good wrestlers were there and the things that they were doing and it's not uh, a pod between you you and i if you don't bring up evolve like i I, it doesn't feel like we're actually potting unless you bring up evolve you missed this 10 months (laughs) you you haven't gotten this (laughs) mike bellucci what uh what can we check out from you across twitter.com from the i guess because it's mysterious new job at the moment so it's, it's hard to plug uh, something that's yeah. not a, available publicly well just follow me on mike like sports on twitter mm. uh by the end of next week it should be public uh but i'm super duper duper excited about what i'm about to be doing i think it's gonna be great uh and uh could cause me to come back to this podcast and talk about certain things that aren't just pro wrestling subjects so, mm. you know, okay cool. yeah yeah All right. Mike Pellucci, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time. Uh, We will talk again soon. Hopefully not uh, 10 months. Maybe once a month is what we were talking about. I'm going to hold you to that. Feel about the curtain. I I feel like we can make that happen. We'll do it. I'm holding you to it. It's on the pod. It's on the record. Listeners heard it. You heard it there first. People have heard it. Mike Pellucci, thank you so much. Alright, the Thursday edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast rolls along as stats by Will, my good North Knoxvillian friend in the future. I'm just putting it out there into the universe. Will, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well. I uh, hope you're doing well, too, in the uh, the new digs. The new digs. Uh, the, the Chase Thomas Podcast studio has moved, folks. It's moved like a solid eight miles, I think, is uh, <laughs> the according to Waze. Still in Knoxville, but uh, yeah, um, counting out of these, uh, getting my registration, taking care for grad school at UT, and it's all getting real. And uh, I don't know, it's uh, it's kind of wild. I'm not ready for school to start back. I, I'm kind of kind of dreading that a little bit because uh, it. Mm. You, I don't know if you knew this or not, but it's another thing to add to your plate, Will. 
and uh <laughs> we don't want that on this podcast folks we want to we want to take things off the plates we want to we want to finish up stuff not to keep adding and overloading like it's thanksgiving or something i don't miss the late july early august school is coming feeling <laughs> yeah it's 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 not terrifying. at all <laughs> it's a little terrifying um but you know football season's right around the corner and because you're here that means we're talking college basketball will and college basketball is not too far either uh both tennessee coaches got extensions uh kelly harper and rick barnes uh rick barnes will be here up until his 90th birthday it looks like uh patello got his extension which is pretty great that was the big news of that so locking him down so he didn't go anywhere a lot of optimism uh you're not gonna believe this but uh danny white might be pretty good at this money fundraising stuff I sure hope he is. I, I was uh, kind of paying very, uh, very slight attention to the uh, the Barnes extension to see what the buzz would be on Twitter, because I figured it would be, you know, after kind of the less than impressive season this last time out, a little negative. Uh, but I was kind of pleased to see that most people were fine with it, because really, when you look at his extension in particular, it's not like that much more. I think it's like a 10 percent raise in an extra couple of years. It, it really doesn't matter that much. Vitello, of course that's the one you really had to lock in. And I was quite pleased they did. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we are going to be talking this week about the big East. Uh, you're not going to believe this. Shaka smart coaching at Marquette. Apparently like that is something that <laughs> fell. Like it was just one of those things that weird transition. He left Texas for Marquette. And then obviously Texas goes Chris Beard from texas tech so there was a lot of a lot of changes but that that was the highlight of just like one of those things where you just we just overlooked that dude left texas for uh for marquette which has been like it, it it's a little bit more difficult to win at marquette than i think it was back uh back in the tom Crean days oh easily and it, i was laughing thinking about this in prep for this pod uh earlier this week when they were showing they have like the little nba draft highlights of uh like guys going through the combine and jericho sims from texas they were showing off some of his stuff and i was i was sitting there thinking i was like jericho sims kai jones courtney ramey texas lost to a 14 seed with that team with shaka as head coach yeah i don't know but this feels more like a better fit for him right like the it's less pressure yes and I think it's unlikely for him to not do it. Like, do you think he brings back Havoc, like his defensive scheme and like what he succeeded with at VCU? Do you think he brings that back and is more comfortable bringing back his style? In, uh, he absolutely Marquette? should. I yeah. mean, it, with Marquette, it's not like there's a built-in recruiting base. Like, I mean, you can get some good players in Wisconsin, maybe you can steal some from the Chicago area, but everybody is trying to recruit Chicago and Minneapolis now, which has sort of risen as a basketball city. Um, uh, you have to like try something different, which is why like buzz was so good there in the first place. Cause he has such a strange defense and like, he really should bring havoc back because the thing I felt when I watched Shaka's Texas teams was that they're all very talented for the most part, especially towards the end, but there is no identity. Mm-hmm. Like there is nothing that made Texas, Texas to me. It was just like, Oh, this is a lot of like good players, but I can't figure out what it is that ties them together. Yeah. Hopefully he brings back like Havoc. That. Yeah. I Hopefully mean, that he be brings great. back Havoc because Marquette needs like to be good again. I grew up with Marquette being like generally, you know, a top 25 team every year. And it's not like I'm a fan or whatever, but I kind of miss that comfort of knowing they were always there. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens um, in this big season. Um, so let's do 
an overview to start off. Um, who stayed? Who went? Who would you like to highlight for the draft um, and how that will affect uh, this upcoming season for the Big East? Uh, I mean, there are some, you know, interesting departures. None that, like, you know, blew my mind as of, wow, that player should or should not have gone. But I think, obviously, you know, the Jeremiah Robinson Hurl, uh, Big East co-player of the year, leaving Villanova is important. Uh, Book Knight from UConn leaving and apparently now getting, like, top eight buzz in the draft, which is shocking to me because it's rare that you see, you know, non, like, Ja Morant sophomores go in the top eight these days. Uh, but he's getting that buzz. I mean, there's some other like key pieces that shifted. But the the strange thing about the conference, it's it's a weird one to evaluate because the top, well, the top three teams, Villanova, Xavier, Connecticut, you know, all kind of commonly in the top three for every ranking I've seen. None of them really, you know, went through the transfer market or had massive departures that were shocking. They all bring back a lot. And it's a weird thing where when I was looking at this conference, they might have the least bad uh, last place team. Like, I know we kind of make the DePaul jokes a lot, but DePaul is not going to be awful. But the thing is, they also only have one team where when I was looking at this in preparation, I was like, yeah, that's a top 25 team. So they, 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 they're going to have a lot of teams that finish like 40th to 80th in Ken Palm but maybe only one or two that rise above. They also didn't want John Shire. If I'm a Duke fan, am I nervous about to Paul being like, we're good. We, we don't want yeah. John Shire. That, but that's such a strange and hard job. Uh, I, I, it should be easier, of course, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like 30 years now where nobody's won there, it should just be accepted that it's probably kind of a hard job to win at. Why do you think that is? Is it just because you would think that players would want to stay home? Like a lot of players, that's one of the appeals about Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida and California is like kids want to stay home by and large. Like it's harder to pull kids to Nebraska in 2021 than it was 30 years ago. Like it's really, really easy to recruit in state if you know what you're doing. And DePaul just, I don't know, it's kind of odd. You would assume that they would figure it out at some point, but... It is. I would love a, a good piece. Dane O'Neill, get on it. The athletic. Uh, let's let's get that piece of why winning at DePaul is so difficult. I, I do think part of it is just like bad luck. Like they have made hires that looked good on paper that just simply didn't work out. Like Oliver Purnell to me was not a bad hire, and neither was rehiring Dave uh, Letal, who was the last guy to get them to the NCAA tournament. My big thing with DePaul is that whenever I think of DePaul, I think of a very uncool school. Like if you look at their logo, it look it still looks like just the same one they've had since like 1998. They it's a dope need a, logo though. I love it. I love the blue. Demon but they logo. need a rebrand to just like flush the losing out. Mm. Like they they need to start you know burn it down, start over, try something new, maybe even like get a new nickname than the, like the Blue Demons is not cool to me. Interesting. I'm very pro Blue Demons. Uh, but you, you got to do something to erase like the DePaul stink. Like they haven't had a winning record in the Big East in 14 years. Oof. Oof. Is it going to be this year? No. <laughs> <laughs> Simple answer. <laughs> no hope. Um, if you had to like of the 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 cellar dwellers, who who would you posit has the the best opportunity to to kind of climb out of that cellar? 
Uh, well, like I mentioned, it's it's a weird thing where, you know, DePaul, I don't think, is going to be awful. I feel like they'll win a few Big East games, but they're not going to, like, you know, have a big year. The, the thing is, there's several teams that I would say, you know, if we had the Ken Palm projections in front of us, would be safely in, like, the 50 to 80 range. Uh, I am really curious to see what St. John's does this year. Mm. Uh, that's a And we're not looking for the Ken where, Palm rankings anymore. We're looking for the stats by Will projections that <laughs> you are young ken pop like you are going to be the next ken pop through this podcast well i got you but oh, we're gonna do the so stats kind. by will over the ken pop <laughs> so kind uh but the st john's is such a fascinating roster because they return uh jillian shim i'm gonna script the name again <laughs> champagne whatever it is but he was fantastic last year down the stretch and like they get him back and you know, if they finish eighth in the conference, it's not like he's going to win player of the year. You don't win player of the year if you finish eighth in an 11 team conference. But if they finish in the top five, he's the reason. Like he could be an every night 20.8 rebound guy. He is super, super talented. And they added Tariq Coburn from Hofstra, who I really loved watching last year. So uh, I'm curious to see what they come out as because. That's a team that really could finish anywhere from fourth to tenth in the Big East to me, and I don't think I could be surprised by any outcome for them. Where are you leaning more for them? I, I think uh, eighth is about right for now. Um, where it's like they could be a bubble team, but they gotta. I gotta see something, especially uh, on offense for them, where they they've just kind of lacked for a while. If they can have a better than expected offensive season and tie it in with a good defensive run, that's going to be a team where, you know, you're looking at them and they're like, oh, yeah, they could be in the first four. So mm. who's uh, for people who have not like I you don't have to do it for me because like as a <laughs> avid Hofstra watcher last year, I, I, I'm familiar with this player. But um, for people who are not as uh, inundated with Hofstra basketball, why are you excited about this pickup for them? Uh, he was just very consistent for Hofstra last year. You know, he's a fun little player. He tossed up 15 and four on an average night. Good shooter, uh, aggressive ball handler that always looks for his shot, which I like. It's hard for me to resist guys like that who always know that they want to score regardless of what team or time they're playing. Uh, and it's like a good fit for a team that needs offense fast. Uh, St. John's really didn't return very much from last year. They returned 39% of their minutes. Uh, and it's not like they've got a super talented, you know, evaluation wise roster. So they had to hit the transfer market pretty hard. And I just want to see what this guy does because he was such a fun piece for Hofstra last year. And it's kind of unpredictable figuring out how those guys transfer from like the CAA horizon range to a real power conference. Uh, but I would like to see him do well. So I, I could see him being, you know, maybe not like 15 points a game again, but he should be like a 10 to 12 point a game guy for a team that really needs that. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So let's, let's run through our tiers as we do every week during these preview series. Um, I, I'm interested to see where you have Providence, the sleeping giants of the big East, as I call them. People forget with the Friars, but no. Um, is Marshawn Brooks walking through that door? No? Okay. Anyway, <laughs> your tears. Uh, I think what, there's like a clear tier one, and it's Villanova. I, this is kind of a boring pick, but it's also a very easy one. They're the only roster right now where I'm looking in this conference where I say that's a national title contender, and that's like the clear conference title contender. 
pretty much every ranking you'll come across has Villanova at least in the top 12. And I personally would have them like seventh or eighth nationally. Uh, and this is not like some sort of hot take. This is just like, this is Villanova's conference and there's not much you can do about it. Uh, you know, seven out of the last eight seasons, they've been the best team in the conference. And the one year they weren't was, you know, 2019, 2020, when they tied for the conference title with Creighton. So uh, it just seems like they're going to be such an easy pick to once again be in the title conversation. Maybe they won't be a one seed, but they should be a top two or three seed. Uh, they look to, to be honest, they look to have the two best players in the conference on their roster. So uh, I think they're a pretty easy pick for tier one. Interesting. Um, tier two. Who's group Xavier, tier two? Xavier and Yukon are kind of... Uh, interchangeable here where i feel like they're both going to end up being seven seeds come next march but they're mm-hmm. both like pretty good teams uh it, it's kind of like i mentioned up top it's interesting because you know xavier wasn't all that great last year they started off hot then had a covid pause and things went south pretty quickly whereas yukon uh really caught fire by the end of the season but uh flopped in the ncaa tournament in disappointing fashion but both return a lot of minutes, like almost 80% for each. And I know UConn loses uh, Book Knight to likely the lottery, which is you know never fun. But they return a lot of talent from what's quickly become a pretty darn good roster. Uh, both should be uh, tournament teams. I'd be pretty surprised if one of them wasn't. Um, both can be potential Big East contenders, but it would be a situation where it's like they're sharing the regular season title with Villanova. Or, you know, Villanova loses in the second round of the tournament and one of them sneaks through to win the Big East. Something like that, where they would come out on top. But that they're, they're both solid tier twos where, you know, if they're better than expected, you could be looking at a, a top 15 team there. But most likely, most likely they're in the 25 to 30 range for me. Hmm. Who, who do you have more faith in going into next year? UConn or Creighton? Um, UConn. Uh, I just hmm. like I don't know that I like UConn's you know coaching staff or coaching philosophy more, but I just like what they've done with their roster. Uh, RJ Cole is probably not going to end up being Big East Player of the Year, but will likely be first team. Uh, he was he's probably going to be the guy uh, on a top thirtyish team that's going to need somebody to take a lot of shots. Um, I don't feel like they're going to play super pretty basketball. That's not really what they do, but it's kind of going to be a team that wins a lot of games by like 11 points. And you look up where you're not like when you're watching, you don't feel like you're that impressed. But come the end of the season, you look up and you're like, oh, UConn is 17th in Ken Palm. Who are you more concerned about right now? Xavier or Butler? Uh, Butler. I. It's tough because I know... They had some things a little bit out of their control last year. Uh, you know, obviously COVID didn't help them. <laughs> it didn't help anybody, obviously. But uh, they were not good. And, um, you know, it's hard for me to have a lot of – you kind of have some blind faith in teams that return lots of minutes like they do. They return 91% of their minutes from last year's team. But it's also – you kind of have to hedge that with they return 91% of minutes from a bad basketball team. So how <laughs> yeah. excited can you be? It's like Arkansas. Arkansas is returning 19 starters. And you're like, ah, I mean, that's cool, but it's, it's still Arkansas. This, like, it's not, it's not the same as Alabama returning 19 starters. Yeah, exactly. So with, 
with Xavier, it was like Xavier had a better season last year. And their first eight games, they really did look like a team that was eventually going to end up being in like the top 25 at year's end. Uh, but then, you know, they had some pauses. They had some, you know, unfortunate things happen to them throughout the course of the season. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the Big East tournament, they lost to Butler by a point in overtime in a game that they were leading by you know, double digits for the vast majority of. So, uh, you know, I, I just feel like they've got a better overall roster. I like their vibe a little more. Uh, the Butler-Laval-Jordan mix is, um, I wouldn't say concerning yet, but it's not heading in the direction that I anticipated it would. Yeah. Uh, and I really like him as a person, but, I, uh, you know, this is year five of this, and I understand that they would have made the tournament in 2019-20 with, without COVID, but, you know, you're heading into year five where the best result is a 10 seed in a round of 32 appearance. It's bad. Like, it's looking bad. I was talking to the Butler beat writer during the season this year and where they're at, and it's it's pretty low, and it doesn't look like it's going to improve. Like, you just don't see it on paper improve. Like, there's nothing to get excited about with this group, right? Like, who are you getting excited about with Butler going into next year that's going to get them back into the top end of that conference? I don't see who that is. Yeah, and I know, and I know it's kind of like a funny thing to point out Butler's misgivings when Xavier is yet to make the tournament under Travis Steele, but... Travis Steele and Xavier have not had a season as bad as Butler's last year. Yeah. Like they, they've been pretty consistently right at 500 in Big East play. And with what they return and what they bring in, uh, it just feels like they're ready to take that next step. Whereas Butler, they've, I mean, they could be on the bubble this year, but it's going to require a few things to go right for them. We haven't talked about Georgetown yet. Fascinating, fascinating team for sure. Um, it, that one is a hard eval because prior to the Big East tournament last year, it wasn't as if anybody was really talking about Georgetown or excited about them. They finished eighth in the conference, uh, you know, under Pat Ewing. They really had not had a good season yet, and uh, they still have not finished over 500 in conference play under Ewing, which is you know not great. They they lost 70 percent of minutes from last year's roster and didn't really replace it with anything of note. I, as of right now, have them 10th out of 11 in the conference. And I know that's kind of going to be like shocking for some to hear, but that's not a roster where there's many exciting pieces. I mean, the the best player on it is probably Donald Carey, who is like the one somewhat headline guy who's returning from last year, along with Dante Harris. But uh, they really only have four true rotation members that are coming back. Uh, and it's it just doesn't look good to me. Uh, I I know that them making the NCAA tournament is probably going to give Ewing at least another couple of years to figure things out. But you're heading into year five where, I mean, whether coaches care about Ken Palm or not is up to them. But the best Ken Palm finish so far is 63rd, which is not Georgetown basketball. But that's Georgetown basketball, the, the past. Do you think they can get like that should be the expectation still? Like we have to adjust expectations for certain programs like I don't think people realize what Creighton is, right? Like, if you talk to somebody yeah. about Creighton, I don't think they realize the resources, where they're at, and what they can do. Like, Creighton should be with a Villanova. Like, they should be on that same level. Like, Creighton is a NBA factory with Patton and what McDermott's built. Like, the stuff last year sucked and all that. But, like, that is a premier program that is actually built to be great in 
the modern college basketball game. Like, I don't see Creighton falling off ever. And they shouldn't. And the expectation is that, like, they should be contending for Big East titles every year. Like, that is where Creighton is. They're actually, like, a power program um, that should be fighting for two and three seeds at the very least every tournament. Is that fair? Like, I don't know if that's a characterization I would throw out for Georgetown. Or not a characterization, I guess. More so a expectation. Uh, Creighton definitely has it a little bit easier in terms of not having to compete for like Omaha, Kansas City type recruits with other Big East schools just because of geography. Whereas like, you know, Georgetown being a DC has to fight off a heck of a lot of well, schools Creighton also for has DC money, recruits. Man. Like Creighton has a sneaky yeah. high amount of money as well. That's true. And and like in general, like their program direction is better over the last 10 years than Georgetown's has been. But it still is a deal to me where like Georgetown should be, I mean, I don't feel like they can ever be like the John Thompson thing again, where it's like they're a top three seed every year, but they should be making the NCAA tournament. I would say like every other season. Do you think they could actually get anybody better than Ewing though? Now that's, that's tough. I I mean, theoretically, yes, but you never, you never really know until you spin the wheel. I think. Yeah. I think it, there's more opportunity for it to go down and get worse. I mean, I guess, like you said, they're going to, if they're going to finish 10th, then what are you really losing anyway? Um, I don't know. I think that's just a tough job because Ewing's, he was an associate coach in the NBA for years and, um, was looked at as like somebody who was eventually going to get an NBA head coaching job and it's just not, not worked at his alma mater. Um, who else would we left out here? We have left out Seton Hall. You talked about St. John's. We, I joked about Providence. Um, of the two remaining, who what, what tiers do Seton Hall and Providence fall into, and who are you more optimistic about this year? I've got both in my tier three, where I think they're. It's kind of like an equal chance of first four NIT for both Seton Hall and Providence, but I lean Seton Hall uh, a little more favorably because they've uh, they've got a bit more talent on the roster. They've done a better job in the transfer portal, certainly. Uh, Kadari Richmond from Syracuse is a sneaky good pickup, and I'm really excited to see what he can do at Seton Hall. Um, but I, I'm just I, I'm interested to see, you know, kind of the direction of both programs because you know it's not as if either is exactly a powerhouse, and you know I under like I I do agree that Providence is a tad bit of a sleeping giant in the sense that they should probably be more of like a top thirty-ish school every year than they have been. Uh, but I mean, like Seton Hall has been heading in a good direction. Like Willard, I, I'm curious to see. I don't know if you've seen much about uh, Miles Powell suing the school for uh, what he believes is a misdiagnosed injury. I don't know if that'll have any real impact on anything, but something to monitor, of course, uh, when somebody as big as Miles Powell sues you. Um, and with Providence, you know, it, it, they're kind of like two similar programs, but Seton Hall has had the higher peaks. I just think they've got the slightly superior roster. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see one, both, or neither in the NCAA tournament uh, in a few months. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Willer's done a really good job at Seton Hall, by yes. and large, though. Like, that is, like, he is, he has done a really great job and should have a job at Seton Hall for as long as he wants it. Um, if he doesn't get plucked. Coley has had like an underrated good performance too. Yeah, I think. I think it's just the how long how long has he been there now? This this will be his eleventh season there. Okay. Um, Be- because the, I mean the thing is like obviously he hasn't had any long runs in the NCAA tournament, but I mean 
it's hard to win in the NCAA tournament. And he has five bids in his time there. He would have had a six without COVID in 2020. They had three in the 17 years prior to him. Yeah. He put out Bryn Forbes. Yeah. Bryn Forbes, who has played his way in and out of the Bucks rotation. <laughs> yes. Um, he has never seen a shot that he does not like. Um, <laughs> your early favorites for Big East Player of the Year. Uh, I kind of spoiled it a little bit earlier, but my top two are both Villanova players, uh, Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels. Uh, Gillespie is a very obvious one because he is technically the co-reigning player of the year, along with uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl and former Seton Hall player, unpronounceable name uh, that I'm not even going to try. <laughs> um, but I mean, it is kind of a weird deal where it's not often that the reigning player of the year in a power conference comes back to school. But well, here we are. Uh, he was the second best player on a legit top 15 Villanova team uh, that lost a bit of steam after he went out with a season ending injury. Uh, but, you know, I, I liked the way they closed in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, you know, they got a little lucky going 12 and 13 as opposed to 12 and four uh, in their tournament run. But I mean, they housed both Winthrop and North Texas and then hung with Baylor for a very long time without him. And you figure with him coming back on a team that returns a lot of talent He's likely the leading scorer on a title contender, so it's pretty hard to not see him repeating. Uh, but Samuels, you know, he could just share the title with him. Samuels is very good at almost everything as a wing, scoring, passing, not turning the ball over, playing solid defense. Uh, it's a thing for me where the case is easier for somebody who's going to get more possessions like Gillespie. But Samuels would be the Herb Jones type pick where he's not scoring a lot of points, but is like the widely recognized cog to a top five to 10 team success. Who is your favorite non Villanova player to sneak into this group? <laughs> um, Champagne, Champagne, whatever it is at St. John's. I will figure out these pronunciations before the start of the season, by the way. <laughs> this is just off-season mode for me. Where I, I mean, that's super helpful, forget, though. When we're watching games and you hear it out loud, and you're like, oh, that's how they pronounce it. Okay. that's I have done that in the past where I've just like quickly scanned a YouTube video of like a player's best game to remember how the pronunciation goes, because otherwise I murder them badly. But um Julian at St. John's. We'll go with that. I feel like he's earned a first name basis of how good he is. Like I mentioned, if they finish eighth in the conference, he's not going to win it. But if they can finish like top five, he's going to have a great case at it because if they're finishing top five, he's probably gone 20 and eight for a full season, which is very hard to do in a power conference. Uh, he would probably be the actual most valuable player at that point, because without him, if you took him off of that St. John's roster, they would be DePaul level bad. Um, uh, beyond him, Paul Scruggs at Xavier, super scrappy guard, makes a lot of great passes, can be really tough on defense. Uh, he plays his best basketball against Xavier's best opponents, which is very attractive to voters. And then, as I mentioned earlier, RJ Cole at UConn, probably going to be the guy on an NCAA tournament team, which is, you know, always easy award fodder. Mm. Um, yeah, I am excited to see what happens there. Um, which returners, returning players, are the most impactful for next year? It's This is an easy one because they were my top three for the player of the year. So mm. <laughs> Gillespie, Samuels, and uh, Julian at St. John's. Mm. Uh, all three are just very key to their team successes. 
Uh, Gillespie and Samuels kind of get the co-number one award here because they've got them projected at roughly the same amount of value to Villanova. But if it comes to – my theory is that if it comes to March and Villanova is like top five nationally and they both have the seasons everybody kind of expects them to have, voters are going to split the votes and give them the co-player of the year award, which has precedence in that they did it last year and have done it three times in the last decade. That stinks. I don't like co-player of the year. I don't either, but voters love it for some reason. They love recognizing as many players as possible, I guess. I mean, it helps the brand. Like it just helps. It's one of those easy things. Um, have we seen if who has got the Duncan sponsorship between UConn and Providence players? Cause isn't, providence arena isn't it that they play at the it's the Dunkin' donuts arena right yeah and then you have the Dunkin' donuts logo always in the background of every yukon press conference so i'm just i'm I'm wondering who's angling for the nil work from duncan who duncan's leaning more towards backing yukon or or providence providence cannot lose that battle (laughs) if you literally have your arena named after them surely are you a Dunkin' donuts person or a starbucks person uh neither <laughs> caribou is kind of my thing if, caribou if, if you can if you can ever find a carrot like they have them there's a bunch of them in atlanta i have not heard that word in a long time okay caribou is good uh but duncan over starbucks for sure i've never been a starbucks guy duncan at least has like agreeably fine coffee uh and like some decent breakfast options uh never been enthralled with anything i've ever had at starbucks what kind of breakfast person are you uh, I, well, I eat the same thing every day, which is not going to shock anybody same. that knows me. <laughs> uh, protein bar, pancake, uh, and then some cereal. Wait, one individual pancake? One individual pancake. Do you put anything on said pancake? Uh, chocolate chips. Interesting. Okay, chocolate chip walls. Um, Tupelo Honey has these waffles with like blueberries and everything in Market Square that um, are a delight, Will. Ooh, I've never had those. Yeah, there's a we went to a good brunch spot when my parents were here last weekend. Um I'm trying to think what it's called, like beers and it's by the the the, the sparkling place in uh in the old city. I forget what it's called. It's like kind of pushed away, but it's called something beers, but it, it's more than that. It's a really good brunch spot, but they had this like breakfast bowl. And I'm a very big breakfast bowl proponent as a uh Waffle House aficionado, uh will love me some waffle house and i've eaten it a lot in my life um they have when they introduced that breakfast sausage bowl oh oh my god just a game changer just an absolute <laughs> game changer and uh it reminded me of and i'm i'm just a very pro breakfast person so i always like to gleam what uh, other people do because i i hate lunch lunch is the worst meal of the day and it's not even close right uh ooh, i think i agree with that because i never can nail down like a good consistent lunch time, which frustrates me. It, yeah. it varies. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like making lunch. I don't like. I like the process of waking, making something when I wake up and making something for dinner. I don't like making something during the day. Like I don't. That's it, why I do a lot of like lean cuisines or something like that. I like to just have mm-hmm. something that I can just heat up or get a quick sandwich in. I, I don't like making lunch. I have too much going on during the day. The the work from home life has unfortunately promoted like the frozen PF chain. Things, mm. uh, bags you can get at Kroger. Uh, I've been unfortunately down bad enough to have those quite often in the last few months. No, those are great. Like I'm a, 
Uh, shout out to future presenting sponsor, hopefully. Uh, what is it called? Uh, I should probably have another name if I'm going to call it in the future. Um, but I haven't gotten it in a little bit. Uh, it was a frozen sausage herb pasta that I used to get all the time. That was just... Uh, not DiGiorno. It starts with a D, though. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, frozen meals. It's like danger. It has something silly. Uh, frozen meals. Sausage. I gotta look this up because it's gonna drive me nuts. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. What is this called? This absolutely is part of our Big East preview, folks. Uh, I can't find it. Uh, what is it called? I'm not gonna See, find I'm it right lost because I thought you were referring to like Amy's. Or oh, something. found it. Devour. 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 Okay. Yes. Those are just easy and they're good and they're they have a high caloric intake. So like after my runs, I can uh, can just scarf those down to uh, to get the calories back, um, which naturally brings us to our next portion of our preview. Um, newcomers like new faces in the Big East that uh, we should watch out for uh, this this fall. Who is it? Uh, not many because it, like I mentioned uh, earlier, like Villanova didn't have didn't pursue any transfers. UConn didn't. Creighton didn't. Uh, Xavier got one that's mildly interesting. Jack Nunge from Iowa, who is Luca Garza's backup and is pretty good. Uh, but like, there's not any star freshman that I would say I'm jacked up about. Aminu Muhammad at Georgetown is probably closest because he'll have the highest chance to score lots of points. Um, but why do you think they beyond that, uh, why do you think sorry, they were not ahead. as active? Like why, why do you think that most of the schools were not very active in the transfer portal? It, it's situational. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really is just like, do you have enough returning that you're confident in that you're happy with that you don't need to go out and pursue others? Have you recruited? Well, uh, is your like, you know, basketball too deep to your satisfaction? So and, you know, luckily for Villanova, UConn, Xavier, all three seemed pretty happy with what they had for the most part. Uh, but like schools like St. John's, who heavily pursued or Marquette, of course, or, you know, even Seton Hall, those three really chased it because they needed to replace some lost talent, uh, which, you know, Kadaria Richmond at Seton Hall uh, from Syracuse and Daryl Morsell from Maryland to Marquette. Those are probably the two I would be looking at to get some heavy minutes and heavy usage. Uh, Richmond, I, I really I, I feel like he's going to be one of my, quote, guys for the season because I thought he was extremely underutilized at Syracuse. I loved his recruiting profile and feel like in the right system he could be maybe not a star, but a really, really good college basketball player. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll we'll see. I, I am curious at how this all works. I'm so excited to watch Marquette with Shaka. I am so interested to see what that looks like and how much he changes and how much he reverts back to the VCU stuff. Um, last thing we'll wrap up here. Uh, as of right now, Will, how many NCAA tournament teams can we expect the Big East to produce? Right now, I, I would say two and maybe like a, with a, a play-in option for three. I, I can... I think I can squint and say four, mm. uh, which is the that's the same number they had last year. They interestingly, since they you know had the big shift entering the 2013-14 season, they haven't dropped below four. So you know, good on them for always getting at least four to five in. But it, it is tough because the only obvious picks to me, of course, Villanova, who I do think is a title contender, Xavier and UConn, they'll be less dominant, but. Those are teams where I'm thinking, you know, should be eight seeds or better come March. 
if I had to pick a fourth, I think it's Seton Hall. They're just they seem to have the best combination of returning talent, transfer talent, and coaching to make it all work. Uh, I do feel like their roster seems to be a little underrated based on the previews I've read from the way too early stuff this summer. Uh, I, I think their top six or thereabouts is very good, uh, but they they give me the vibe of like an 11 seed that you know sneaks in with a hot run late in the season, kind of like Syracuse. Syracuse is just I I, I don't know I, Syracuse is just sad now. And then I don't know. Do you see that we're uh, we're playing Syracuse in 2025? The Battle of the Orange in Atlanta. That that was the so like the, when I saw I had that texted to me today, and mm-hmm. my first response was the the tired Wojak, where he it looks like his body is decomposing, <laughs> and I sent that to my friend with the caption feels like 98, uh, and just like I, I it will I will be honestly quite surprised if both teams coaches are still there mm. in 2025 hypel has a better chance of course because he just started but uh the dino babers thing really seems to have run out of steam it seems like the only thing keeping him is his buyout pretty high i seem to recall um yeah hypel just feels like a fill-in and getting it back to respectability until they they can actually pull the tony elliott guy like i think they wanted the tony elliott guy it was just the uh, all the circumstances surrounding this coaching search. It was just, you're not going to get the biggest of big names. Um, it would be nice though. Uh, can you imagine if we had Shiano this whole time? What if we just had Barnes, Vitello, Shiano, Harper? Feeling that would good. be interesting. Cause there's like a clear standout personality on those four that mm. would just not fit in, but it, it would have been the alternate before. history. There, there are two alternate histories about Tennessee football that, uh, really do still hold my fantasy. One is if they had fired Derek Dooley after 2011, after his second season. And then the second is if uh, Shiano had come, if that, if like they had just ignored the backlash, which, you know, I feel like was at least somewhat justified. If they had just ignored that and like let him come in, I, I've always wondered like how that would have worked out. If he would have made it longer than Pruitt, if he would have won more games, how he would have handled really how he would have handled quarterbacks would have been quite fascinating because I, you know, the, the idea of Greg Schiano putting up with uh, Garantano for three straight seasons doesn't quite line up in my head, but guess where Garantano's from New Jersey. And he, but they, the whole thing was like, he loved Schiano, right? Yes. God, that would have been something. Can you imagine Tennessee fans loving Garantano? Like it was just like they were like the perfect marriage, and no one's just like I. No one's ever been hated as a quarterback more than Jared Garantano. Like it's unreal. If you just say his name in Knoxville, people just peer around the corner. Like, what did you just say? (laughs) It's funny because those last few games of the season where Tennessee finished, you know, by winning their final five games, uh, it seemed like he had really turned the corner reputation wise here. And then uh, all it took was uh, two pick sixes against Kentucky to burn it all down for good. You were there? Yes. Uh, I'll have to tell you offline, but that was uh, one of the most miserable Saturdays I've ever had, and I was not even at the game. (laughs) I'm not going to miss any of that at all. Those games were all miserable. Like, just one of the worst college football. We don't have to go go down memory lane of that monstrosity it's it's over um final predictions uh anything you would like to add as we wrap up our big east preview 
Uh, there is going to be one. I would say one of these teams makes the Elite Eight, but I don't want to predict who yet because, I, I mean, the tournament is, you know, moderately a crapshoot, and I've seen really good Villanova teams make it all the way, and I've seen them lose in the second round. Yeah, they say crapshoot. Like, I think people talk about the tournament in an incorrect way these days. Like, we we just had Gonzaga and Baylor in the championship right. game. Like, it's not as like, oh my god, who can win? It, it's it's not really like that. It's it's not like college football where it's literally impossible to run the gauntlet in a playoff. Um, but yeah, it, it it's still the the best one out. Maybe like a weighted crapshoot where it's like you still generally get the best teams, but you can have the UMBC thing. You can have like UCLA make it to the Final Four or George Mason or VCU or whatnot, but. In general, it is really, really hard to win if you're not a member of a power conference. Yep. All right. Well, well we can follow you on Twitter at StatsByWill. We can go to your website at also, let me check my notes here, StatsByWill.com, also known as, a.k.a. Ken Palm as Will's cat makes an appearance in this podcast. That's right. Cedric, do you, wanna, do you have anything to say, Cedric? <laughs> Okay, oh, he talks. Yeah, he, he does. He lets me know when it's time for bed. <laughs> but uh, beyond that, I've got some stuff coming out soon. I've been knee deep in a couple of long term off season projects that I'm excited to post about here in the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, it's uh, we're getting closer week by week to the eventual goal of a normal college basketball season starting up again. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm excited, especially not just because Tennessee Lady Balls and men's team are both gonna be good, but uh, it's just it's fun. Basketball's good, uh, but I am I welcomed the the break. I I welcome this break. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, we needed a little bit of a sports break. I was get a little burnout on the Hawks, just never leaving my life, and the Braves also playing every night. And we don't have to go that. Stats by Will. Thank you as always for the time. We will be back as we are every single Thursday during the off season. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Absolutely. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.